I'm amazed at how much I can tell myself uh, that God loves me and then not be reminded of that enough, right? I can say it all the time. I can hear it in songs. In fact, I can hear it in these same songs, and I've sung these songs before, but not felt the love of God and singing the songs. Isn't that crazy? How God, how, how our hearts work to, to, to tell us, like, no, you're not enough. You're not good enough. He can't love you. Your sin is greater than that. You're more messed up than you think you are, right? And they're just like, that builds up week after week, day after day. So again, if that's true for believers in this room, like how sad is it for those who live in the world every day to think there's no way a God could ever love them? That he would never care enough about them to come be with them. Are we singing that song, you didn't want heaven without? It's not that God was like, man, heaven's boring. I can't be here by myself. He's like, no, I love my creation so much. I want you here with me. I want heaven and earth to be together. I want this all together. That's the way I intended it. And I will love, I love it so much and desire it so much that I'm going to send my son Jesus to make it so, to show that that love is real. And so as we... Uh, just continue. I, I feel like in one sense, I, uh, I know I shared this with, uh, I think, Heath this week and maybe even on Soul. It's like following God as just like trying to trust. Where are you going next? What are you doing? And sometimes we just following after him. He's just saying like, stay here. Like, just be here. This is it. You're like, you're going somewhere, but you're, you're, you're just going to go with me. I think it's even that refrain that's been a refrain of this year. It's like, be still and know that I'm God. Like, trust and wait in me. Know that I am here. And so this summer, we, we've, we've talked through the book of Acts and seeing that beginning stages of the church, Jesus commissioning his followers uh, to follow after him in all that he is, to, but, but to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit, right? The book of Acts is the acts of the apostles, but it's just as much the act of the Holy Spirit coming. And we seeing the power of believers, of these disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, ordinary men and women, living extraordinary life, doing things that are only explainable by the power of God and only true because they're believing in what Jesus, who Jesus was and what Jesus did, right? It's not because all of a sudden they're getting something out of this. In fact, we see we ended the story with Stephen losing his life, proclaiming this good news. So it's not the idea like, we'll just be a family of servant missionaries that's all beautiful and all great and all lovely, Right? It's the reality that the love of God so compels us that we're willing to give everything so that others might see and experience that love. Right? And even how selfish our hearts are often to just say, I get it and I just want that, right? Again, if I need that today, like my heart is broken to think about the people, the, the people in my life that I know and love that don't believe this good news is true. And so we came out of the summer spending last month on this series and of our identities, our baptismal identities, saying, hey, um, this is true of us no matter what, right? Um, this comes from the way we look at scriptures, the way we come to read scriptures. We're asking those four questions, right? Who is God? What has he done? Who are we in light of who God is and what he's done? What does that make us? Uh, and I'm not even going to go to the fourth question because we don't need to get there yet. 
Because if we, if we don't follow the first three, the fourth one is really just the thing we have to keep going back to. And I feel like in one sense, that's what God's wanting to continue to say to us, even as a body. Um, and so we look at the first question is showing us God's character, right? What does scripture tell us about the character of God? So when we're reading the scriptures over and over again, we're saying, what is this telling me about who God is, right? We can sing a song about God's jealousy for us. That's his desire for us, his passion for us, right? We can see jealousy. Jealousy can be, is a bad thing, again, if selfish, but his love for us compels him, right? So we understand that we see that about who God is in scripture, his character, and then the other reality, the second part of that, what has he done? God can only act out of who he is. So we can focus on one aspect of God in each of that, but the totality of God can only act in all the totality of who he is. He can't be something other than, he can't say he's one thing and then do something different. If he is love, he's got to be loving. If he is just, he's got to be just. If he is merciful, he's got to be merciful, right? And so he's all of those things, which for us isn't enough to just spend the rest of our life trying to ponder that and understand how that God then would have any care for us whatsoever. But he does. He gives us our identity. Our identity is rooted in our being, the image of God, right? We've been created in that. So this idea of wanting to get to what do we do? How do we live, right? But we've said this over and over again. We'll continue to say this. Who we are precedes what we do or how we are to live. Who we are is before all of that. And so we're continually having to remind myself, who am I? Who am I? On the top of my page, I've said this before, it, it stems from, um, it was 2016, this, this Sunday, 2016. That was, I just saw that I was preaching Acts 19 at Redeemer this Sunday and I got up there and I couldn't tell you who I was. Like I was so out of my identity. My identity was based and we're a few months away from being planted. We are, just, we are the beginning of October. We're gonna be sent out, ready or not, January. And, and you better be ready to go. All of our church, all of our core team, everybody was there. And I got up and preached and the whole time, the deceiver, the liar was up there telling me, you don't know what you're doing. You shouldn't be here. This is not the place for you. Why are you even doing this? It was so loud in my head that day. It was louder than the words coming out of my mouth, which is loud because I'm loud. So much so that I had to stop speaking. I couldn't speak anymore. I had to stop in the middle of my sermon and wait for God to pull me through that. And it's funny, it will be, the, I think it was two minutes and something, two minutes, like 14 seconds of silence. 14 seconds of silence for most people in front of other people is enough to make you feel like I want to fall on the floor and never be seen again, right? Like, so I remember it. I still remember that feeling on the stage. And I've, you know, some, most of you were there. There were other people there when I've talked about it, even right afterwards, didn't even like, oh yeah, I just thought it was you. I was like, no, I was like dying on the inside because at that moment, I couldn't tell you who I was. I was lost in trying to figure out who am I right now because this, this voice is louder in my head than I can even imagine. And it's self-talk, it's the deceiver, it's all those things happening in one. And so when I saw that reminder yesterday, uh, you know, thank you Facebook for reminding me, I was like getting ready to preach that and I was like, I probably, like oh man, 
I don't want to talk about that again today, but we get here to identity and who we are precedes and everything. That's, that's the same, that's the true thing for me. Who I am precedes what I do. And I am, the top left-hand side of my page, a loved son of God. I have to remind myself when I get up here. I'm not what I preach or what I don't, I'm not what I say or how I look. I am on the right, the pastor of Soma Austin. And there's a lot of times I don't need that. And I don't know that I even needed it today, but it was a great reminder that that's who I am, is what he has made me. So as we talk about these baptismal identities of family and servant and missionary, right? As we look back and see that God is our father and that he has created us and loves us, that he has adopted us as his children, right? That we are now co-heirs with Christ, right? We live in light of that. We live in light of that. So that's the beauty of the church. We are a family. We are both glorious and strange, right? It's a beautiful thing and totally weird. That's the body of Christ. That's us. We are families of the churches, and we are included in that, families of imperfect people being sanctified by a holy God and living out dozens of one another statements that we find in the Bible, right? So in churches, we see glimpses of our heavenly hope break through of an eternal way of living in a place where disappointment and hurt can also happen, right? They're happening in the same place. It's this beautiful thing that can only be described as God, you're bringing people together, and yet it's a place I can be hurt I come into it, and I, I, I can struggle with, I, I can need something from others that they can't give me, where disappointment is found, right? So we long for healthy churches to, and, and to know that we don't find perfection even in the healthiest church. So the goal of Soma isn't to be a perfect church, it's to be who God has called us to be for the place he has planted us, right? We're not to be the church for some other place, we're not the church for downtown Austin or Round Rock or Pflugerville. We're the church for Northwest Austin, this area. This area, going all the way, Fall Anderson Mill up to Cedar Park. That's where we're headed. That's who we are. And the call for us then as family is to love as we have been loved. To live out so that others might experience the love of the Father. And then as servants... Jesus is our servant king who gave his life for us. It's a reminder of that truth, right? Jesus gave his life for us that we might live for him. We are his servants. We serve others because we have been served, right? And we talked about in that message that until we see people the way Jesus sees people, we will never serve people like Jesus served people. Jesus, it's a story, remember, of Jairus? Jairus and the woman with 12 years of bleeding, right? That's the story that we attach to that. Both of those two, Jairus has lots of power, the woman has none. Yet Jesus meets both of them. Jesus is so powerful, he feels the power leaving him when she touches the hem of his garment. Jairus is going to Jesus as a powerful man saying, hey, can, can I use some of my influence to get some of your power? In both ways, what? They both needed. And Jesus met them in their need and, and took care of both of their needs. He healed his daughter and he healed her with a touch of the edge of his garment. And even though she had already died, he raised her back to life. That's Jesus' serving. So he saw those two people 
and said, these two people, the most powerful you can think of and the least of them, they are the same in my eyes. You serve them all the same. You serve them and love them because they're all, we all have need. We all have need. We see the way God, uh, saw, he saw, uh, why Jesus saw people, he saw pain, and the way he saw power. So we must see the world around us as Jesus sees the world around us. As brothers and sisters that need reconciling to the Father, who have a broken image of our Heavenly Father, who don't think God loves them at all, who think God just wants to squash them, who hates them, who wants to alienate them and cast them out, where God's, Jesus is saying, no, I want to bring you in. So for that, I would even encourage us, we must, let, we must let Jesus serve us so that we can be changed and serve others. You cannot serve others if you're not allowing Jesus to serve you. What did Jesus do to those disciples in the upper room? He washed their feet, right? He did this as, a, as I'm doing to you, go, go do this. Go live this out. Go be the servants. Go, go care for the least of these. And that leads us to our identity as missionaries. The Holy Spirit, God sent the Son, the Son sent the Spirit. We are missionaries, sent ones. We are sent ones, right? And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. That this might be the hardest of these to live out. And so today is kind of like a transitionary message from our identities and then back into the book of Acts as we think about what does it look like for us to live on mission? As we take our identities and who we are and live on mission, what does that look like? That's why we have the missional dinner lab, like the one happening tonight, 530 to be reminded of, to be encouraged and equipped in, how do we live missionally? Again, as a family, we do a great job of loving one another, of caring for one another. Are we perfect? No. Can we do better? Absolutely. We serve. We care for those needs around us, right? I love Amanda Patterson saying this week, hey, we've got this neighbor who's in need. Here's a way any of you can join in and serving. Take a meal. We can, we can make meals. You, we, can, we can do gift cards. We can do all kinds of ways. There's just a simple way for us to come along and serve. But how do we, how do we live out this missionary identity? So what is our mission, right? We've been told, we see this in Matthew 28. We see this in the beginning of Acts. Go make disciples, baptizing them in this new identity in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? So that's where our identity comes from. And teach them to obey his commands, and you won't be alone. This is, this is mission. This is evangelism, right? Mission. And this is why even we start our gathering with grounding ourselves and reminding ourselves we're human, right? Evangelism, we defined it this way, is being a human in public in such a way that requires a gospel explanation and the Spirit's power. It's not to be superhuman. That's not us. It's to be human, right? So often the temptation or our desire is to hide our humanness, to cover up our sin, our brokenness, and our neediness, right? That's the way we want to live our life. I don't want anybody to see my humanity. So let me build up an image so they don't have to. So then if we're going out trying to be on mission that way, what happens is we go out, hey, we've created this, cultivated this perfect image. And then people go, well, I, I can't be that. I can't do that. I can't live that way. 
right? And we begin to build up walls, right? So this perfect image, we can't let anything come and deflect our perfect image. And then we listen to what it is. We are doing this, right? I'm creating the walls. I'm doing it so that no one, my image won't get to, no one will see the cracks, right? We'll keep everybody at a distance. No one will see where, where things maybe don't look as good. Uh, most of you know I work uh, with my friend Matt. We install blinds. Um, we installed these big shades this last week. They're 30 feet up in the air. It's way up in the air. <laughs> way up in the air on top of extension ladder. I'll just tell you that. Way up in the air. <laughs> and we're doing this work up there. And some of it, we're like, I mean, we're working, like making sure it looks great. When I go down to the ground, I can't see any of the things we're worried about. None of them. Doesn't mean they're not there. But when I look up there, and I guarantee you, most customers would look at that job and say, that's a 98, 99%, like, I can't hardly see anything wrong with it. But we're looking around, we can just see flaw, 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 issue, 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 thing that we can make better, right? We could spend as much time fixing things that no one else will ever notice. Honestly, no one else will ever notice just because we would notice them. Why is that? Because we have studied it. We know what it's supposed to look like. So the same thing for us as believers. We can spend all our time trying to cultivate a perfect image, and at the same time, what we're doing is actually repelling people from the gospel, because the gospel says, God loves you as you are, not the perfected you already, not the you that does everything right. So when I don't show that, right, we talk about that as, as our neediness. If we don't show any need, then the gospel's not, there's no need for that to happen. So I'll just keep portraying no need. I'll make these areas where no one has to see I have any needs for Jesus. We all have a need for Jesus, right? We just proclaim that in song. I need you. We have to have you. Without you, I can't experience the love of the Father. And what we know through Scripture, what do we know from Scripture? That Jesus came for the needy, right? He said, I came for the sick, the broken. Read the Beatitudes, right? It's just a list of all the things we go down of not perfect, um, you know, the, the, the picturesque image of someone. It's the person that's meek, that's mourning, that's in need. Jesus also tells us throughout the Gospels to come uh, to, G to him like as a child would, right? As a child would. I won't spend a lot of time here, but we all can imagine children come with lots of needs. And they really have very little problem voicing those needs. Am I correct? I need this. I need this. I need this. Whatever you've cooked is usually not what they need, right? I need something other than that. We're not afraid of that. And so part of what Jesus is even calling us to is, hey, come like a child would. Come like a child. Jesus is the picture of God with flesh on. Listening to a podcast this week, I, I would recommend it to you as well on um, the Saturate podcast with uh, Jeff Vanderstelt and then Jeff Schulte, who started 10 Men Ministries. I'll talk about that here in a little minute. And he just said one of his quotes this week that's just been sticking out in my head is that Jesus was more comfortable being human than we were than we are. Because Jesus understood all of what it meant to be human, even the emotions of it. He didn't flee from it. And I want to look at one section of that today 
in Luke 19.41 as he shows us these, these emotions that we have as, as we're, we're struggling with it actually might help to move us towards mission. And so if you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 19, verse 41, and uh, we're going to find, this is just one moment of Jesus showing, like we can go through, he does a great job in the uh, podcast of even talking through different aspects of where uh, Jesus shows his emotion. But I just want you to hear Luke's account of Jesus entering what happens right after the triumphal entry uh, into Jerusalem, uh, what, what happens with Jesus. Uh, two, po- two moments that he ties together here that I think are showing both emotions that lead us into mission. Luke 19, verse 41, said, when he drew near to the city, he wept over it, saying, would that eat you, even you had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. What has just happened? He's come into the city. People have cried out, Hosanna. So in one sense, they've said, we're acknowledging, you're the king, you're our savior. But Jesus is seeing them differently, right? He sees you don't really get what's happening. And what does it lead him to? He's broken. He's sad. He's weeping, right? The other place we see Jesus weeping in scripture, we see it when Lazarus has died even though he knows he's about to bring him back to life. So we see him not afraid to experience sadness right here in this moment. Jesus has said he's walking into this and Jesus knows what's about to happen too. It still knows what's going to happen. He says, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and you and your children within you and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. He is sad because though he sees them, they do not see who he is. They do not recognize him as their savior, as the Messiah. And so they are sad. he is sad about that. Then right after that in verse 45, Jesus uh, enters the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. We'll stop right there. These two pictures of that are, um, are pictures of two emotions that Jesus used to like propel him in mission to move him forward in mission, for him to see and connect to what's going on there. And so God's giving us these emotions to even ask that as we go out, right? So as I move into this, some of this is coming out of uh, Hans Ole and Heath. We're at our retreat last week and um, our men's retreat and we talked about uh, emotions. I'll put up this, uh, there's a slide in there with those eight emotions. I'll put these up there. So I'm just going to give you this as a background so that you can look at it and go, we won't go into all this. There's no way. You, if you read everything on here, it'll just be too much. But these emotions are the eight emotions we talked about. And we talked about these anger, hurt, lonely, sad, fear, shame, guilt, glad. These are emotions as we look at them that, that all our emotions could fit inside of there, right? So this is one way to look at it. It's a tool. Again, like there's a lot of other ways to look at emotions out there, but we're using that today and we're using these to look at it and go, hey, out of these emotions, um, how is God using these emotions, right? So, so it's even understanding that our emotions aren't there to like, you might look at most of these. In fact, you'll look at seven of the eight and go, those are, those are seven bad emotions maybe and one good emotion. And Chip would tell you in, this, in his book, uh, The Voice of the Heart, they're all good emotions. 
There's not one bad emotion on here. And so that's already going, wait, no, wait, that, some of these are bad. These are not good. No, they're there to tell us something. They're given to us. Jesus shows all of these emotions. In fact, he's showing two of them right now, right? Sad and anger. Right? If we were to read, I'll give you from uh, Eugene Peterson's message version of the going into the temple. There's better descriptions of Jesus' anger in the, te- in the temple, right? Because other descriptions show me like flipping the tables. We don't see any of that here. We just know he's not, a, he's not happy with this. So 45 and 46 say this way in the message, going into the temple, he began to throw everyone out who had set up shop, selling everything and anything. And he said, as written in scripture, my house is a house of prayer and you have turned it into a religious bazaar. So as we look at these, as we look at these emotions, you can take those off now because I don't want them to end up being the distraction for the day of like, wait, how does these all work? Um, this, this comes from this picture of understanding even better um, these, uh, how these emotions, um, lots of ways these emotions and feelings uh, might look to us. Um, and so this has been a helpful grid uh, for me, I think it's even was helpful this last weekend for us to understand them and to look at our emotions and begin to understand what's happening in me. And they help us to see um, they, emotions primarily do this. They help us to see and tell the truth about ourselves. Right? And so when Jesus sees the city and is sad for the city. He weeps over the city. What, it's telling you, what is it telling you about Jesus? He cares for the city. When Jesus sees the money changers in the temple and goes flipping tables and is going crazy in there, saying, you've got to get out of here. What you see is his anger that what they're doing, this was meant for something else, right? This was meant to be a house of prayer and you have turned it into a den of thieves. Of, of, of selling everything for your own benefit. So these emotions, anger, hurt, lonely, sad, fear, shame, guilt, and glad, they're, they're not um, so much uh, impulses to be controlled, but tools that we need to learn how to use well so that we don't behave impulsively and act, out, uh, act without the ability to take responsibility. So again, Coming out of this, we're overall seeing these feelings are good. Though inside of you, it might make all kinds of things turmoil. because rarely are we also just feeling one feeling at a time, right? We're feeling these all together, and so we don't even know what to do with that. So if we were to use those eight feelings uh, uh, and look at what Jesus was feeling as a human and as God when he sees Jerusalem, the first thing we see is that he is sad. How do we know that he's sad? He's weeping. He's crying. Well, see that sadness makes us know what we value. Think of what makes you sad. Some of you are like, I don't think about what makes me sad. There's no reason I don't think about what makes me sad. What makes you sad? Things make you sad when you value it. When, when, it's not, when, you, when, you, when you value what it is and it's not there, right? So that's our world all around us. Imagine it that way, right? That's what Jesus was imagining. You, you ought to be seeing me coming as your Messiah, but you're really not. That's what made him sad. You're not seeing it the way it ought to be. God uses that to build our value system, what what matters to us. Sadness speaks directly to our need to grieve what is gone, to grieve what is not the way it should be. All right? So when we are sad, it's showing us or reminding us that if something isn't the way it should be, I'm grieving what is gone. I'm sad for what is gone. I want to read a couple of things out of here just to help us give a better understanding of this because... 
Um, for me to type it up, I would just be typing what he said anyway. So I was just going to read a couple of these things. Listen to this as we think about sadness. If you wish to experience life to the fullest, your heart requires that you will be willing to feel sadness. This is hard. We want to feel life to the fullest means I would never want to feel sad. Right? If I never feel sad, then I'll be happy all the time. Is that, is that the case? No? No. Imagine your, your, your sadness as a, uh, as a beach ball you're trying to hold under the water. How does that work? Not well, not easy, right? And what happens when you can't hold it under the water anymore? It comes up and you can't control where that ball goes either, right? It just goes all over the place. So it's going somewhere. That's all of our emotions. That's not just sadness. So understand that. Sadness is the feeling that speaks to how much you value what is missed, what is gone and what is lost. It also speaks of how deeply you value what you love, what you have and what you, uh, what you live for. Sadness is proportional. The more sadness you feel after a loss, the more, value what is, the more you value what is lost. Think about that for a second. You feel more sad in proportion to what is lost. That's right. Sadness gives you the, us the gift of valuing and honoring life, right? So think of it this way. Sin and brokenness has caused all kinds of mess. And so, so many things are not the way they ought to be. So there sh we should encounter lots of sadness. And instead of running from that sadness, acknowledging that sadness, bringing that sadness to God and saying, God, we, this is not right. This is not the way it should be. This is not the way it should be. Lastly, sadness is, is, is the loving feeling because it expresses value and honor for something or someone gone or lost. Sadness is for wealthy-hearted people. You want to feel the fullness of life means we've got to feel sadness. Jesus was not afraid to feel sadness. And in fact, he had every reason to not be sad. Why does he need to weep over it? He's about to bring salvation to Jerusalem. Why even weep over it? Because it's not the way it is. It ought to be. It's not the way God wanted it to be. So he's got to restore it. He's willing to do the work, but there's definitely sadness there. There's definitely brokenness there. So what we get from sadness is compassion. As we allow ourselves to feel sad, we begin to feel compassion. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. Jesus had compassion on the people of Jerusalem. He was sad that they didn't really realize who he was and what he was coming to do and that he loved them. Right? So think about that in relation to Jesus being on mission, him calling his disciples there. So as the disciples walk with him and see him weeping over Jerusalem, they're recognizing they ought to be sad over that as well, right? This is sadness, right? Also a part where it could be angry where we could be angry, I mean, where he's looking around, he's like, I'm, am I sad about this? Does it really grieve my heart? Does it grieve my heart? So then let's look at verses 45 to 48 and see this feeling as it turns there. Then he entered the temple, began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, and you have made it a den of robbers. So using those same eight feelings, we look at it and as a human and God, when he sees the money changers in the temple, he was angry. How do we know? He, he got them out of there. That anger propelled him to do something. Like, so we see anger, and I'll just tell, we'll, we'll go through this here in a moment. Uh, we'll, we'll, we confuse anger and rage often. We'll get to what rage is here in a moment. But anger is, is the emotion that causes us 
to, do, to move, to go, to do. He said, my house shall be a house of prayer, what you made it a den of robbers. Angry for something rather than at something. Was he angry at the people? To some degree, what he was actually angry for was that that would be the house of prayer, what it was supposed to be. They were taking this thing that was meant to be a house of prayer and turning it into something else. So that's why you got to get out of here. Um, and, and you might even hear it this way. Jesus was angry for Jerusalem for them to see what they had been given. He was not angry at them, but angry for them. You don't see it, so let me, let me begin to show you. I'm going to turn some tables over. It's going to get your attention. Something needs to change here. We've got to get them out of here. So again, looking at the anger picture from, from the book, it shows this way. The truth about anger is that it's the most important feeling we experience as emotional and spiritual beings because it's the first step to authentic living. It shows your yearning and hunger for life. Anger helps us pursue full life by exposing the substances, desires, and commitments of our hearts. Anger works to enhance relationships by building bridges of intimacy with others. You know who you are in a relationship with their desires, their transparency, and their authenticity. Angry people can be known because of their unwillingness to hide. So again, if we see anger as bad, what Chip's trying to help us understand here, and that's what, we're, what I think even Jesus is showing us, is our anger is actually showing you, this matters to me. I have passion for this. He goes on to say, anger is the energy of desire and willingness to reach the desire to be satisfied. It shows us, even comforts us with what we care about. Anger exposes what we value and expresses our willingness to do what is required to reach that value. It allows us to stay with our values, take sides, and even die for what you believe in. That sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? That when he saw things are not right, he's got to do something about that. That he's willing to step into this hardship. So the anger is what's propelling him in there. Again, not angry at Jerusalem, angry for them, wishing that they would see the same thing and, and act out for it, right? So the same anger or passion, right? So we had compassion from sadness and we have passion from anger. And just so that you can hear the difference of that, and this might be very helpful for some of us, the difference in where rage comes out of as opposed to anger, right? Just hear this for a moment. When we think about anger most often, that comes from fear. When we're th what we're thinking about is rage. So hear this. Another impaired expression of fear is rage. It results from refusing to face our fear of vulnerability. Rage lashes out silently or loudly to harm what's ever in its path. As numerous children, spouses, and coworkers, and other innocents have tragically experienced, rage almost always lashes out from deep emotional and spiritual room, wounds. Rage-filled people are terrified of exposing their hearts. Rage then is the defense used against the heart to deny and hide our fear. So what we often see in most people is that I'm afraid of something. I don't want anybody to know I'm afraid of something, so you're going to get this response out of me because I want to make sure that, that that's protection, right? Where it's not really dry, it's not really moving us anywhere, right? It's a protection. 
Anger is moving us. It's an, it's, a, it's an emotion of action. Let's do something about this, right? You might think of this as like seeing a need, let's meet the need. Let's do something about this. That's the, different, the difference in that. Passion comes from feeling angry, right? So how does this drive us? How do these emotions drive us to mission? Well, it's that same thing. Again, if we're gonna be fully human, Right? That's the deal is that us being human and then with a gospel explanation that the gospel is required to explain why we're living, there ought to be some way when we look at what, make, that what makes me sad like Jesus, right? What makes me sad like Jesus when I look around my world? Here's the problem for most of us. We don't want to feel sad, so I don't ever want to imagine that. So I never want to press into that. So I can. Ne- so then I lack compassion for others. I lack compassion for those in need because I don't want to feel sad myself. So I don't want to feel their sadness. So I will totally ignore that. The other question you would ask for mission is, what makes me angry like Jesus? Where am I seeing passion? What makes you sad and what makes you angry like Jesus? Both of those two emotions. That is what's right about you. That is what's true about you. Hear that. That's not what's wrong with you, that you're sad and broken about something, that you're angry and want to see something change. That's what's right about you. That's, that's the spirit of God using who you are in your lens and how you're created to look at the world and go, it shouldn't be this way. And I've got to, I, I, there's something I got to do about it. Now, the reality is we aren't the ones who can save it. So we have to point, point people to Jesus. That would, that's what mission is. Right? We can serve a lot and do a lot of good things, but that's not ultimately leading them to Jesus if there's not a purpose towards that. That's what being human and giving a gospel explanation means when we talk about mission. So living life in a missional community might look like multiple people sharing their sadness and anger together, their compassion and mission for one, uh, together, and then forming a missional aim. Their idea isn't that we just have the same projects we go do or the same people that we're about. Maybe it's as we begin to see, what am I really sad about? And how does that affect me when I look at the world around me? What's in me that when I see it, I've got to do something about it? That I have, I have to move into action. I can't sit back and let it, let it go on. And so as we join those two together, that's what living life on mission together might look like. I don't have to have the same thing, but we, can, we might have totally different things that, we're, that we are, are, are areas that that might be expressed at, but we might be angry about the same issue. Does that make sense? I'll give you an example of the same ways. So this is coming from the... And it's funny, I talked to Kendrick about it this week. There were like a couple of questions he threw out at the end that were kind of like, yeah, I thought this would be good, but he had no idea. It's like, it's been just rolling around in my head. Even Heath was like, yeah, I think those were great questions. I want to keep asking those questions. It goes back to, what am I sad about? When I look around in my city, what am I sad about? When I look in my city, what is, what is God boiling up anger inside of me that I want to do something about? And when I first sat down, I wrote that, I wrote two things down. And I actually flipped the two things when I started talking out. I was like, oh, I realized, like, wait, I'm sad about this, but I'm angry about the other thing. Because that's the thing I'm actually willing to do action towards. Right? So I'm sad about um, the, lack of, uh, it, the lack of care for people in need 
in my community. Like I, I'm just the first thing that came to my mind is I'm sad when people worry about their, their home value more than the needs in our community. Right? When they're like, ah, we gotta get the homeless people out here. There's like one of those first things that came to mind. I was like, we gotta do that because this matters more. I'm like sad about it. You know why it's sad and not angry? I feel compassion towards those people that are both needy and in need, and even towards the people that don't get it. But I'm really not doing anything towards that. But I'm sad, I'm still sad for it. So it's something I've talked about. But then the thing that I looked at and I thought was sad, but is really anger, is that that people don't aren't experiencing community. And they're not experiencing that in our schools, in our neighborhood. And I'm willing to do something towards that. So I'm willing to have our neighbors over to my house. In fact, I will fight for that. I will pursue that. And so I was like, oh, this is helpful for me. Now I understand this is where that's going. This is what's driving me towards that. So then as I sit around our table with our missional community, we begin to imagine what that would be like. We're gonna end today with this, thinking about what is it that I go around your daily life? I'm not talking about Austin, you know, the, the, the general whole area. In the roads that you travel, the places that you go, what makes you sad? In the people you are with, in your day-to-day life, what makes you sad? And the school that you go to, what makes you sad? In your city, in your neighborhood, in your community. And then what are you angry about? What are you, what are you stirred up enough to do something for? And my desire is here both to, I want you to feel sad about it and not just push it away, and feel angry about it and let that anger begin to come towards God and go, okay, God, now what do I do about this? Because there's some of the things we're angry about that are bigger issues than we could ever tackle. I hope that's the case because it means he needs the body of Christ and we need, we need God to do that. I can't just do it. And so for us moving forward, it's sitting alone on our own, in our own hearts, and then sitting together. What are we sad about? Imagine what it's like as you start sharing what you're sad about and someone else goes, oh, I'm sad about that as well. My heart's broken for that. I have compassion for that need. I wanna see God work there. And we begin to get like, man, I'm really angry for, you know, kids and families who don't have community and other people to care for them. I wanna do something about that. I'll still never forget a few years ago, it seems like a long, long time ago, but us sitting around talking about kids with special needs at the Heinz's house. And like all of a sudden, Allison's like, that's a real heart of mine. And like, because again, how is it, how do we know it's a heart of Allison's? She's gone and got education about it, <laughs> right? I'm doing something towards that. It's not just saying, oh, that, uh, that, that, that sounds like anything. I'm actually moving towards understanding that better, to do something for that. I remember thinking like, this is what it ought to look like more often as we get together and share and be vulnerable. But the problem is we have to be vulnerable and we go like, this really grieves my heart. I have compassion, I'm sad about this. This really brings up my anger towards this and I've gotta do something. And as we do that, what the deal is, we also get other people to join us in that. We don't become the angry villagers running around like you know, ready to light the city on fire. What we really do is say, God, we're a bunch of, you know, people that have just come together, we're family, trying to do this out, help us, understand us, guide us, direct us, point us to where you're already at work in all these areas. So here's what I want us to do as we close today, is to ask those two questions. What are you sad about in your city, in your neighborhood, in your community? And just spend some time in that question. What are you sad about? 
What makes you sad when you drive down the roads, when you walk down the street, when you walk in those buildings, when you see the people out? What, what breaks your heart? What brings to you, like, I wanna have compassion for that. I wanna understand that. I, I, I'm, I'm, we're missing something here. This is not like heaven, right? It's that prayer, on earth as it is in heaven. This is not like heaven. I see it. I'm sad for that. Allow yourself to feel that sadness. Allow yourself to be sad for those who don't know Jesus. Then after that, we'll take a moment to think about what are you angry about? And I, I want you to, we're gonna separate them a bit just because I don't want you to, it, it'll get real confusing because like, wait, am I sad or am I angry about this thing? Maybe it could be something else, but we're just gonna focus on those two things today because I think those are the two things that will, will push us towards mission. Because if I allow myself to be sad for something, if I allow myself to be angry for something, it's going to then, I've got to do something with that. And I begin to share it with each other. And I begin to actually even voice it back to God. God, could you do something with this? You gave this emotion to me. You're making me feel this and see this like you're seeing it. Help me to do that. So let's spend a few moments right now. You write down, type it in your phone, write it on a piece of paper. What am I sad about in my city, neighborhood, and community? Um, and then just like ask the spirit to point that out. Like think of those things that make your heart melt, that make you feel compassion for others. And then in a few minutes, we'll come back and we'll ask that same question about what are you angry about?